Hey, this is Carrie from Wrap Your Head Around Silks. This is the Expecting Aerialist Podcast, now with the Digit Network. How's it going, guys? You want to say hi, Bean? Hi. hi. What else do you want to say? Chukalaka. Chukalaka? You know what we've been, we've been saying? We've been saying ka-chow, like in cars. You want to say ka-chow? <laughs> Almost. <laughs> All right, my friends, wrap your head around socks. What do we have going on? So if you're interested in teacher training, if you want to come do roll it out with us, we hit the mat on Monday and Thursday evenings and um, lots of other free stuff. Check it out. I would love to be your virtual teacher. Oh, I have a little snuggling being right here. What else would you like to say, Bean? And today we have Sarah Mann. She is the creator of Madman's Playground, and um, it's she's now producing shows. And we're going to talk about how to how to put up a circus show if that's what your goal is. So uh, we are going to tell you all about how we know each other. She's a good friend of mine. Um, all right, guys, let's get started. Hey, you want to say let's get started? Oh, kind of. I met Sarah because I did this one show called Lux Obscura. I like to say it like that because it's hilarious to me. Um, this is also the project where I met Baby Daddy Asa Watkins, my partner in life. Did we meet through Lux or did we meet in aerial class? I don't remember. Okay, no, you're right. Because I, I commented on your Puma, um, sorry, not your Puma, your Lululemon bag, and I never Yeah, forgot. but then we became close during yeah, Lux. Yeah, so... No, we never we never became close until we did the show together um, back in, oh, God, six sure. years ago. I'm like, I don't actually know the six timeline. It was probably 2016, 20, no. Because I was, I, I had turned 40, and I remember all the conversations with the director about how I was, like, literally 19 years older than the youngest. Oh, yeah, don't think about that. No, I mean, I'm fine with that. I mean, I look the same age as them. I think they should be that is true. Bad, not me. But, <laughs> you know, it was also the first and only show. The last show of my dance career is the show I did a thong in versus anything before That's that. That's actually really funny. What are the odds? Well, I mean, it wasn't a thing before. Like, before it was like, half cover briefs and and fishnets and then it changed and now everybody's completely All the naked time. on stage almost yeah it changed in the last six years and i'm kind of glad that i graduated out before my ass graduated i i'm like yeah it's i mean i can do it but why <laughs> well it's just the style changed even as an onlooker when i'm looking if somebody's wearing like regular leotard looking bottoms and then also fishnets, they look like they're totally covered yeah. to me. Which is crazy because you're not totally covered, but. No. What, Bean? I'm so bad. Okay, that's fine. She's so bad. You want to say hi to Sarah? I need hi. To wash my hands. Go ahead. I need to wipe it. She can't oh. hear you, by the way. Go ahead, wash your hands, my love. So the thing is that she can go to the bathroom and white wash her hands herself because she's got like a stool and stuff, but she needs to announce herself. I understand. I like to do the same. Sometimes I <laughs> announce myself and I'm an adult. <laughs> okay, so so that was a very important show for me because that is the show where I'm 
we were on it for like two or three years. It was a long-term thing. And when th- something's long-term, you really make deep friendships. And then um, I met uh, my partner and we secretly got together and got pregnant. And then I announced myself pregnant and they were like, where have you been? Oh crap, you're pregnant. That was crazy. Yeah. When you showed up and we're like, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I was nervous. I was like, oh my God, they're going to be like, why do you say something? Actually, what I want to know is like, why no one got mad at Asa for not saying something? Well, because Asa he never, never says, says anything. anything. Molly and I got mad at Asa. Yeah. We were Did like, you? what the fuck? For keeping such a secret? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What? This is a huge piece of news. And I didn't come in and tell you guys till I was yeah. six months. And then, um, and then you guys met Bean and she's four now. So it's That's been a while. Real. And she's, seeing her walk I'm, around, I'm like, what? <laughs> she's a, she's a full grown, full on toddler, closer to being a kid than a toddler now. And, um, I am asking Sarah to come on now because holy moly, you got your hands in everything recently. I'm like. I thought I worked hard. Sarah, you are working hard. Let me see. This is what happened. Like right before I got on, I went to your Instagram just to like, I do perusing sometimes just so I know what I'm getting into on these calls. So the reason why I thought of Sarah was because she just did the show, um, Ben Helsing's Dracula with um, Madman's Playground, her company, right? Is this what it's called? And it was... It went wonderful, I think, from your perspective, but I have to say that I didn't hear any of your perspective because I haven't talked to you about it until, you know, we'll get into it today. But my students who are adults, who are aerial students, who are seeing shows all over the city and, like, getting their feet wet in the circus world, I just started hearing, like, have you heard of this show? I was like, yes, I know. You're like, I knew about the show before it was a show. (laughs) Because I was talking about it during Lux. Well, I didn't know that, but that specific title or just doing doing a a show, show. (laughs) just doing a show. Yes. So I love when my friends do really well and then people on the other end, like come circle back to me and I can name drop and I can be like, I I mean, name drop all you want. I feel still like a small fish being like, what's (laughs) happening? (laughs) No, it's great. So I was hearing like like people like not having any relationship to the show being like, wow, I saw a show last night and I enjoyed it so much and blah, blah, blah. Um, Sarah is, we met in the aerial studio and then we danced together and then she's become this, um, this producer slash director. So I wanted to bring you on because I wanted to talk about all these elements that you've been working with and then what it's like to do all this stuff, your process. So, you're also the still the managing assistant for the Toledo show, which Asa has played for for over ten years, if not yep. more than that. Way more than that. And you have a way more than that. And then you're also you've been doing what is it Sweden. called? Sleven. Sweden? What is it called? Sweden, which I didn't know was named that, but it's your uh, like erotic performance. Project. Yeah. So it's it's. The owner of Sweden is named Don Jansen. And then I come in as her like operating manager, her co-producer. So I don't claim Sweden as my own, um, but I'm definitely hands deep, like elbow deep in the project. Yeah. So when I say you have your hands in everything, it's really not wrong of a, of a analogy because for Toledo show, you've been 
kind of helping run that train for a while over time, in and out, and then Swevin, and then your own show, and then you're also a fitness, fitness, how, how many classes do you teach? So I do primarily privates. Classes wise, I'm only three a week, oh, okay. but it's a lot of private clients. Um, and it's, okay, it's it. kind of fizzled out, like during the product, during the creation of Van Helsing's Dracula, I wasn't actively pursuing new clients. So I've had people drop off because, you know, it happens. That's what happens in the Pilates world. So yeah. I think right now I only have maybe, maybe 15 hours of teaching a week, but it's still 15 hours of teaching on top of everything else. Yeah, that's, that's substantial. Yeah. 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 I mean, people like us, we, it all like kind of pieces together like a jigsaw puzzle. So, uh, okay. So Sarah, I just gave you a long intro. Introduce yourself to our audience. Uh, remember it's mostly aerialists, professional, um, advanced hobbyists, people just dipping their toes in. Um, mostly females, but some males um, across the world. So if you'd introduce yourself, kind of your background of work and what brought you to today, and then I'll just... All right, cool. Um, So yeah, so I'm Sarah Mann. I started as a dancer. um, And back in high school, I was both dancing and a competitive flute player. So I had my hands really deep in the music world and the dance world. What? Yeah. Oh, I was I was marching band, all state band, orchestra, like huge in the music world. Um, and then had to pick one for college. Went to Chapman University down in Orange County. Got my degree in dance as a fine art. And then after college, found aerial pole. So my journey as an aerialist started in the pole world. I was the co-director of Jagged, which has now opened their own studio. I've never been involved in the studio, but we used to have a company. Um, and then was co-directing Jagged. And then when the studio opened and the focus shifted, I sort of made my way out. And then after that was when I really started pursuing other aerial arts. Um, and so started doing hoop primarily because it made the most sense coming from pole and then ventured into other aerial stuff and the whole time was still dancing found the Toledo show um, actually through Jessica from Jagged and then was dancing regularly with Toledo where I met Molly um, who was the director of Lux how I met Carrie or how we became buddies Um, and then was working kind of hand in hand with Molly on a few of her projects, was still helping Toledo on his, um, and sort of started realizing that every time I got involved in a project, I would end up helping to run the project in some way or not like some shape or form. So with a lot of Molly's. Yeah. Operations. You are like operations girl. With a lot of like Molly's projects, I became sort of the production assistant with Toledo. I became his assistant like managing assistant. I was also dancing. I did one season with a dance company called Zero Dance up in San Francisco area. And then I'm now the managing director of that company. So I still run the company from LA. Um, Sarah, I did not know half of this. So I have sort of just ended up realizing that like, while I do have this artistic creative side of myself, I'm actually really I really enjoy the production element of it um and was pretty good at it 
like, yeah, there's still some areas that are struggled, but sort of just realized that I think having the creative component made me a good producer because I could understand what the artists needed on stage and I could understand how to talk to musicians because of my music background. I could understand musicality, I understood movement. And so eventually after working on various other people's projects, oh yeah, and then I got involved with Sweden, um, which I still do the same thing. It's all operations and production. Um, just sort of, you know, people kept asking me like, why don't you start your own show? Why don't you start your own thing? Um, and after a while, I kind of you know, was thinking, okay, if I did start my own thing, what would it be? Um, and I grew up in Seattle and Seattle has a company called Teatro Zinzani, which is a circus dinner theater. And I sort of was like, why don't we have that? Um, and so I want to say, I don't know, maybe eight years ago, started contemplating the idea of creating a circus dinner theater here in LA. Um, and finally, like, had started working on it, figuring out how this was going to happen right before COVID hit. And then COVID hit, I had to fully pivot back to fitness all the time. Um, and then I want to say about, I guess now three years ago, we started, started I started recruiting the people I would need to make Van Helsing's Dracula happen. Um, and then launched Madman's Playground officially, like the business started in 22 and then opened our doors to audience October 21st in this year, 23. So I do a lot. <laughs> is, is that dinner theater in Seattle the same one as in Chicago? Yeah, so they started in Seattle and branched okay. out and they have the Chicago location. They used to have a San Francisco location, which I don't know if that's coming back. It closed and was hoping to reopen and then never did but same company. Okay. So there's a lot of uh, my listeners out there who are kind of in the space of wanting to produce their own circusy type of shows all around the world. So I want to kind of get into your process there. The first thing is, so you're, you're Madman's Playground. So you are, your entity will go in, you go and find a venue and you... And you're in that venue for a short amount of time, then you go find another venue. Is that how it works? So for now, yes. For now, we're doing the pop-up model um, simply because I wasn't sure how it would do. Like this first run was definitely a proof of concept and just trying to figure out what are all the pieces, who are the who are the players in it, how much money will it actually cost to do this? Um and also, does LA like it? Like, is this something that the LA market wants and will enjoy? So for now, we're doing the pop-up model. I am looking at trying to open a venue, uh, which would then have shows running year round. Um, so that's oh, wow. kind of where my head's at right now is looking to secure a space, do a full production build out. Um, but for now, we're definitely the pop-up model of like, get a new space, do our show, and then <laughs> moving on. And then, okay. how does that make money, though? Like, circus has so much overhead. There's the performers, there's the rigging, there's, the, like, the pieces of the production side. So, how, with the venue, where's where was uh, Dracula? 
at? So yeah, so Dracula happened at a banquet hall in Van Nuys, um, specifically because I needed banquet space for serving food. Um, I probably wouldn't have used a banquet hall. It was an extreme amount of money. Um, but I needed the height. I needed the floor space. So that was the space. It was the venue that made the most sense. Um, but yeah, as far as that, the pop-up model, I don't think really works unless you're in a space that already has the production elements. Um, you know, so finding a bar or a theater that has rigging capabilities um, and already has theatrical lighting or has the audio system that you need. I think that's really the only way that it will make money um, because it's a lot of money to bring all of that stuff in. <laughs> yeah. And then also to do dinner service. Like we, uh, when I, when I, God, so long ago, when I was Hi. producing Le Fleur de Sens with Catijan back in the day at King King, um, you know, that space was amazing, but we could not do dinner service there. Like we, that would have been a really good example of it back in the 2000s to 2010s of, of what you're talking about yeah. in your theater. Um, because we had small intimate tables, like you would reserve seating, like a table at four or six top booth in the back. Um, but we just had drinks because it was just like dinner service was like, there's no kitchen in it in the entire place you cannot easily I mean that would have taken the entire budget yeah right and you would have had to create a pop-up kitchen in the parking lot right for your yes. catering to use so that adds extra costs um so yeah I mean I right now Van Helsing's Dracula like full honesty didn't make any money um, I mean I can't imagine how it could no honestly no and I'm knowing what I did back then totally and after, you know, I mean, I, I did try to strategically like look at the budget, add up all the costs as much as I could, right? With production, there's always things that end up that come up popping up and you're like, ah, forgot I was going to have to pay for that. So, you know, I did the best of my ability to like figure out the whole budget. Um, and I realized it probably was not going to make money. And I knew that early on and I, you know, made the just like chose to move forward with it, knowing that, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people that I had approached for funding did not understand the idea. They didn't understand what the concept was. They thought, you know, who's going to go to this? Um, well, a lot of people did end up going to that. Correct. And I, yes. I sort of realized like I needed to do it in order to have the footage, have the press, have the, you know, Yes. Just get that proof of concept under my belt. Um, so, you know, I made the choice to go into debt in order to make this happen. Um, so just knowing that if you're interested in production, know that there is a chance that it won't make money depending on your costs. And that's just... But um, other, otherwise, it's, I mean, and unless you're somebody like Molly, who we were working for before, who our boss there was a billionaire with a B... Yes. Not with the M, a B. <laughs> Not millionaire, but a billionaire. Uh, these things aren't possible because the costs just add up. So are you just, uh, this is just my personal question. Are, are you shopping it in Vegas? So I'm not shopping it in Vegas. Um, I really, in my heart, feel like, I've, I got very frustrated with Hollywood, to be honest. 
I got frustrated. I felt like the magic had disappeared. I felt like it was becoming not as classy as I wanted Hollywood to be. And I really would like to bring back that class to LA. Um, so I'm, I'm really hoping that I'm able to find- You want to do it here. I'm hoping basically. to find a space in LA and find a space where people get dressed up for the night and they come out and they have this really classy dinner experience with a show um, and to make it this LA monument. But, um, but I could see it doing really well in Vegas because that's where people go for shows and for food. <laughs> yeah, and Vegas is popping. Like my friends who live there- Oh my God. Not that I want that because I don't right now, but they have a life that I just have never even had here. Yeah. It's like they've got artist tickets to three shows a week. They get a babysitter. Yep. They're, they're living that lifestyle, perform two, two shows in a night, and the next night go see another show, the next night do three shows them, themselves. Like, oh yeah. It's insane. It's crazy. It's wonderful. It's really wonderful. Um, oh yeah, for artists, it's. I mean, it's a great place. If if that's the life that you want, I think it's a good place to start a career and a career. Who knows, right? But yeah, 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 yeah. But I would imagine there's a ton of competition, right? Same as in LA. There's that. Yes. Every circus performer goes to Vegas, right? Because there's a ton of shows, um, and you do truly have to be the best of the best. LA, I've always had this thought because, you know, it was 2006 when I produced that show with Kati and I have the same feeling as you. I don't have the same motivation as you to produce one now. I don't know if I'll ever have that again, but I wish that we had that here too. You know, like super classy, high end, worth the money, you know. We shouldn't just be a, a city where you could see bands and go to concerts and go see movies. We should have live entertainment here. That's what the world expects. Yes. Actually. And I also, the other half of my frustration, aside from Hollywood just not having that, is the fact that there are so many circus performers in LA and there is no home for them to go. Yes. And agree. why? Like, why don't we have a circus company? Like, you know, there's... Circus Schools and Circus School LA has a company, but they don't do things regularly in LA. And other than that, like there's tons of, you know, recitals and sort of like amateur circus performances, but why don't we have a company? Why don't we have a home base for people to, you know, get involved with productions that will have like a full length run? Like it just irritates me. <laughs> So I was like, all right, well, you know, and because of the, like, for your listeners, I had a car accident in 2017 that messed up both my wrists, which is when I like fully got into production instead of performing, because you can't really be an aerialist with a wrist injury. And so once I had kind of moved into production and realized like, okay, I may not have like a long career as an aerialist and I may not be able to pursue it as seriously as I wanted to, but to still be able to be around it and give a home to people that are actively pursuing this as a career and help them elevate their career. I was like, that's, that to me is another reason why I'm doing this. 
and leaving LA doesn't make sense because I do want to do this in LA. Yes. So also Cirque du Soleil was here for a couple years and it didn't make it financially. What was the show? It was at the Kodak Theater. Eris. And it was Eris. one of my favorite shows I've ever seen them do. I don't know. Did you ever get a chance to see it? I never saw it. I've seen so like a bunch, but not that one. Um, it is sad because what it did for circus performers in LA is that it gave you a job in LA. Yep. And so many people want to live and work here and there's just not, um, obviously they tried. Um, LA is such an odd town though, Sarah, like it is so hard to sell live performance like it is in Vegas. And I know it's the truth, but I don't know why. And I've never understood why I don't, to be honest. Yeah. I'm not, I don't necessarily understand why. Um, you know, and I had a lot of people telling me when I first started, like actually running the numbers on this and trying to figure out a venue for it. And, you know, the beginnings of it all, people were saying like, just don't do the dinner. Don't do the dinner component. Just do the show. Like don't have live musicians, do it to track music. Don't do this. Don't do that. And at the end of the day, I was like, there are so many shows in LA that are currently trying to make it and they're not. So if I add the dinner part and the dinner is actually like a really good dinner, not just like not knocking medieval times or knocking the pirate show because they're awesome, right? They do exactly what I'm trying to do, which is dinner and a show. But is the dinner this like five-star meal that adults are going to want to eat? Not really. <laughs> but, you know, by combining the fine dining aspect and having, you know, I think Iris would have done well with a short-term run. But I think the fact that they were, they were here for multiple years, but I don't think they ever sold out any of the shows because all of us were like, well, I'll go next month or I'll go next. Yes. And yes. so, you know, with what I'm trying to do, the plan would essentially when I have, when I have a space, cause it's going to happen is the show will run for four months and then the show will change and the food will change. So now not only are you getting like a fine dining experience with a show, but it's also never going to be the same. So it'll be something that will continue in my mind, will continue to draw audiences back time and time again, because if you just have the same show running, I think the only reason it works in Vegas is because there's so much tourism and people yes. go in and out specifically to see shows specifically, you know, they're not living there. Yeah. We don't have the same amount of tourism actually. No, we have the no. tourism, but it's not, yeah. it's not like to that degree, right? Like, yeah. LA is a home to artists and a home to performers and people come in and out for the rehearsal process and then they leave or they, you know, they're here for like short stints of time. Um, but I think part of, you know, part of why I'm, I've chosen to like rotate things is because it's the only way to draw audiences back for the locals. Yeah. So th this idea of urgency has to be there for locals because yeah, if you could just buy tickets whenever you want, it becomes like you never buy the ticket. Yeah. Me as an example. Right. So, um, yeah, that's genius. Like for us at King King, the urgency was that we only did two shows a month or something. Right. Okay. So having said that Van Helsing, uh, ran 
and then what's next? Yeah. So Van Helsing's Dracula, we had four nights. Um, and right now there's a, there's a variety of, of things happening in my head. Um, option one is I would like to put Van Helsing's Dracula up again. Um, I think we had a really great run. We had a lot of press. A lot of people are interested to see it now that they've seen the buzz that happened. Um, sure. But I'm thinking of moving it to a different location. So taking it like Southern LA, like maybe it goes downtown, maybe it's Santa Monica, maybe it's Long Beach. Don't know. Um, okay. I also want to tour it. So take it to San Diego, take it to San Francisco. I have had somebody ask about us bringing it to Portland. There's a bunch of people on the East Coast that I don't know how they saw the advertisements, but they have. And they're all like, when are you coming to the East Coast? So if I could tour the show, that would be great. Um, the complication comes with the catering component of it. Oh, is that is that actually, I was going to ask you, like, where's the, what's the worst mucky spot? Is the catering. Um, because I don't think the catering company would tour with me. I haven't, we haven't. Oh, so you'd have to suss it out in every location. Yeah. Um, the other component, you know, the other challenge with that also is just finding venues that can, uh, that can have the setup that I need. Um, and what does that mean? Like how many rig points are you looking at? Like, what's the stage look like? So rig points is just one. The stage is a big thrust stage that comes straight down the center of the venue and the tables are on the sides. Um, so there's a rig point upstage and then the front half of the stage is used for this giant table that I had built for the show. Um, and the table gets moved around the downstage half of the, the thrust. Um, so it's just one rig point. There's four acts. The apparatus that's in the rig gets changed out between the acts and food gets served between each act. The catering component makes it a little challenging to tour. <laughs> um, but I think it's doable. You know, ultimately, if I had a tent and I could just pop myself up in a park or in a parking lot, I could easily make it happen. Um, however, circus tent is not cheap. So <laughs> figuring that out would be the other challenge. Well, and transporting a huge tent is also. It's a whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> but it's still. But it's <laughs> when you said the word easy, I was like, hashtag easy. There's no easy, no, there's no easy in any of this. But yeah. it might be easier than trying to source venues, which is like bizarre to think. And at least for Van Helsing, like, what was your, um, what was your capacity for, for chairs? So this or bodies, venue, I should say. This venue, if I had fully, so originally when I started, I was looking at two hundred, uh huh, two hundred ten. I think was the capacity. Um, now looking at it, max would have probably been one. I think it was like 168. If I had filled out all of the tables that I had. That's a lot of dinner. That's a lot of people. to A serve. lot of people. Um, okay. We had, you know, for the first and the last run, we had about 125 people. And then the second and third run, we were somewhere between like 70 to 90, which like 90 people was a good, that was a good place to be. Um, lost a lot of money because of that, but 
Um, but yeah, about a hundred people is probably ideal. For getting them all served and seated and everything in the timeframes. Yeah. Oh, that dinner component really does change things. So, um, how much was a ticket and how would you change that going forward? So tickets range depending on how close you were, like proximity to the stage, because, because of the banquet hall, it was all on the same level, right? So the stage wasn't raised. <laughs> the audience weren't tiered. Depending on how close you were to the stage, the tickets were more expensive and then they got cheaper as you went out. So it was somewhere between 225 to 325 Okay. As far as the cost, I don't think I would change the cost. Um, I would I would like to change the visibility factor. Got it. In a perfect world, I would have almost like an amphitheater seating, like a traditional circus tent where the stage is on the ground floor and then seats get elevated. So the tables, the tables would be tiered, is my goal. And you're getting a full however many course dinner, you're getting a show, you're getting a whole uh, experience. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, all in all, the experience was about two and a half hours, like from doors open. Um, we had some roaming performers. When you came in, you sit down, your first course is already a set out. Um, so from doors open until the last beat of the show, it was about two and a half hours. And then doors continued to be open for about 30 minutes after if people wanted to hang out and mingle. So I felt like for a two and a half hour experience with a three course meal and a full like stage show, um, that 225 to 325 wasn't outrageous when you think about, you know, oh yeah, the theater and going to out to eat, right? If you're going to a four course meal, it's probably gonna be about a hundred, hundred and fifty dollars. And then the show on top of that, about another hundred, hundred and fifty. So and if you wanted to just walk in and have a glass of wine, could you? So not with the setup that I currently had. Um, okay. I, I, part of the reason that I didn't want to do that is that the food component for Van Helsing's Dracula was extremely important to the show. Got it. Um, Got and it. so the show wouldn't quite make sense if you didn't have the food. Without do you like serve a super bloody steak at the end? You don't get a bloody steak at the end, but you do get something that ties the thematic. To the yeah. Right. Thematic. Um, so for this show in particular, it wouldn't have really made sense to offer seats without the dinner. Um, but you know, thinking about that in the future of having just like, you know, standing cocktail tables, they're not standing, but like hired cocktail tables that are small yeah. get the food. Um, you know, but that's for when I have my own space. So, oh my God, this is a very lofty goal. Are you feeling like, uh, like how, how lofty is this goal? Do you already looking at venues? Are you already like down on the ground and gritty, dirty not, looking? Not yet. Um, it is a lofty goal. I think, you know, it feels more doable now after having done the run of Van Helsing's Dracula, because I do, I like, I feel like, okay, LA is ready for this and LA is interested in what I'm putting out. Um, the fact that the show was as successful as it was like the press that we got, we could never have imagined. <laughs> um, you know, I, I never in my 
biggest wildest dreams would have thought that I had like a full page write-up in the LA times. Like that was insane. <laughs> um, so it's, you know, it feels more tangible. The, the big hiccup is I just need funding. Um, however, it's much more, it's closer now that I have, I have all of it. Um, you know, I can put together a really solid pitch packet. I can put together all of these press quotes and, you know, yes. give it to someone and say, look, this is, this is a tangible idea. People are interested. People like what I'm doing. Just help me get there. Um, and the profit margin dramatically increases once I have a space. So, yeah, because doing everything pop up. Oh, my God. That's like doing a wedding every weekend in a different venue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, luckily, like there were costs that came with the event, like things that came with the venue. Like this one, we were able to use all of their tables, chairs, dishes, like silverware, linens, all of that came with the space, which was great because it meant I didn't have to rent any of that. But I did have to bring in all of my lighting, all of my audio, all the rigging, um, you know, and so that those costs add up, especially when you're loading in in the morning, doing the show and then loading out that same day. Um, so it was, you know, for me and the rest of the crew, it was it was a good 12 hour day. <laughs> Yeah, and I can imagine also like doing a show like that in a banquet hall, it's 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 harder to create an atmosphere because it's such a sterile environment when you walk in before you put your stuff in. Weirdly, for those for the people that saw Van Helsing's Dracula, the space itself was actually perfect for what I needed. Ah, okay. Not have to do any sort of build out. It had these three giant chandeliers in the middle of the space, these two like beautiful staircases that we use for entrances and exits. So like, it was kind of perfect for this show. Um, like it's, and almost to the point where I'm like, I don't know if this show will work anywhere else. <laughs> um, but yes, banquet halls typically are just these big sterile spaces. Um, and it's, it does. It, it's tough to create a vibe and create an atmosphere. And, you know, we, we did so because our lighting designer was fantastic and was able to light the space in a way that you walked in and it had this amazing vibe. We had a DJ that was playing music in between acts to help create the vibe. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of work. So 2024, what can we, are, are we going to see anything out of the madman or? Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping, so 24, the goal is to either, you know, remount Van Helsing's Dracula in LA or to start touring it around. Um, and then we're also starting to work on the next show. So I'm hoping that by October next year, we have another show going up. Um, but that is to be seen if I can find the funding for it so uh what kind of circus acts are you gonna have for the next one yeah um so for the next one I want I want a lot of ground acts that we didn't get to have this time so I want juggling I want hula hoops I want I would love if I could get a seer wheel um I want I do want some aerial I just don't know in what capacity um but Definitely a lot of ground acts is kind of what I'm envisioning for the next one. Um, 
you know, I'm definitely trying not to replicate the same show. I don't want to get pigeonholed as a company that only does this one thing. Forgive me. I did not actually see your show. <laughs> what was in Dracula, the uh, circus? Act? Yeah. So the performers, so the way that, um, to just give some context, the way that Madman's Playgrounds shows work, it's not like a traditional circus where you have the contortion act, the, the straps act, the clowns, everything kind of happens all at the same time. Um, so the only standalone acts that actually happened during Van Helsing's Dracula were two aerial duets. Um, everything else was kind of all at the same time. So we, as far as components, circus components, we had aerial, we had contortion, we had hand balancing, acrobatics, plate spinning, hula hoops, and LED fans. That was the last one that I missed. So we would have had fire fans, but we were not allowed to do fire in the space. So you want to obviously brand yourself. So people have a, so there's a commonality between your shows, but you also don't want them to be the same. So that's like a little bit of a needle to thread. Right. So yes, but the, I mean, the commonality is pretty, the common thread is that it's dinner service. And it's actually a show with characters that you can follow. So the narrative makes complete sense. It's not a loose narrative that maybe the audience can follow. Um, the audience is actually like taken on a, a story. Um, you know, so for this one, we had um, Abriana Van Helsing. So it was a full female cast or female presenting cast. Um, so Van Helsing and her lover get invited by Countess Dracula to a dinner experience, a dinner party. The Countess steals the lover, Van Helsing's lover, and then Van Helsing has to decide if she's going to stick around and try to fight Dracula or if she's going to leave her lover with Dracula. And so it's this whole story arc. It's the love story between Van Helsing, the lover, and Dracula, kind of this like weird lesbian trio. Um, and just the the story arc of how Van Helsing does eventually defeat Dracula, but what does that look like? Which is very different from the traditional Dracula stories, um, and kind of any you know this you know the characters, you know the themes in Dracula, but the the story that we take you on is very different from anything that is currently out there. And how did you land on that idea of Dracula? <laughs> So I spent a lot of time reading fairy tales, looking at different stories that were already like classic stories. Um, because I, as a new company and a new director, like I, if you know me, I'm behind a lot of things that are happening in LA. But if you don't know me, like my name's not on anything. So I knew that I needed to figure out a story that would automatically capture an audience. Um, and so for me, it was easiest to just go, okay, let's find a story and morph it. So I had been watching um, the BBC has a three-part Dracula series. And while watching it, the Van Helsing character in that story is actually the niece of, you know, uh, I forget the, the actual Van Helsing in Bram Stoker's Dracula. And so or the granddaughter. So it's already a female Van Helsing, which I loved. 
Um, and then Dracula as a shapeshifter and a vampire, I was like, ah, that would make a perfect circus performer. I was like, Dr Dracula could be on stilts, a contortionist, an aerialist, a, like a who knows. So that was actually the story that made me go, I think this is the root, like the base of our story. Um, and I already knew who I wanted to play the host of the show. Um, and so I approached her and I said, hey, what do you think about doing a Dracula story? I don't know who you would be. I don't know if you would be Van Helsing. I don't know if you would be Dracula. Are you a bystander? Who knows? Um, but I liked the fact that Van Helsing in that story was a female. And I was like, this could actually be a really interesting thing to take and morph it into a live show. So that was oh, how that came. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, and you were up around Halloween? Yeah, so we I strategically wanted to launch the show around Halloween, um, which may, I think, worked, but also didn't work because I think LA gets a little out Halloweened. Like, people get a little exhausted after the week of Halloween. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we launched right before Halloween, took a break for Halloween, and then came back through November. You're like, you're like kind of a genius in that brain of yours, Sarah, man. I'm very impressed. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm ultimately, I'm just glad that I kind of stuck to my guns and said, no, I'm going to do it the way that I want to do it. And I'm going to pull out all the stops and just make it happen. Because if it didn't, if I didn't do it all the way I saw it in my head, um, I just sort of felt like it wasn't going to have the same like dramatic grandeur that it did. <laughs> um and yeah, I'm really, I'm super proud of the company that we put together. I'm super proud of the show that was created, um, you know, and it's, it's strange as a creative and you, I'm, you know, this, but like to see something happen that was in your brain, <laughs> um, which I've never really been that person. Like I've always been behind somebody else and making their brainchild come to fruition, um, so to finally have like my brainchild out there with the help of, you know, a ton of other people to support me and get all the pieces, but it was, it was a really cool experience. And I'm, you know, I look forward to seeing what happens next. <laughs> so, well, I haven't been in that position either. Cause in the situations where I've produced, I was the person behind the person, yeah. but even just in smaller ways, like all of, the things that I offer online and just being on the internet so much, there's a, there's an element of vulnerability that creeps up on me sometimes. And it's scary, actually. Do you have that experience? It's terrifying. <laughs> right. I feel that way too. And I'm just like, like you put something out there and you're like, fuck. You're like, I hope this is going to work. Like, well, because it's you. It's like every time I write it, like I wrote a book, I wrote a piece. And if people don't respond to it, you just feel like, like on one end, you're like the person who's holding up a hand, waiting for a high five who never gets one <laughs> or like, or, <laughs> or your heart is just literally open on a table beating and no one's paying attention. Like, yeah. I mean, it was, you know, it's funny. Cause I, I was chatting with some of my cast and a few of them I knew prior to casting them. And a few of them, that was how I met them. And um, and so some of some of them, obviously the ones who had worked with me before, were like, 
we've worked with you. We trust what you do. We think you have, a, you know, you have a smart mind. You have, you know what you're doing. So we're in it to win it with you. And the other ones who like didn't really know me kind of were like, well, this sounds odd. Like, okay, we'll see if it works. Like <laughs> kind of having no faith, but they were like, but if you're going to pay me, like I'll be there. <laughs> right, right, right. And, you know, and so after the fact, they were like, yeah, I really wasn't sure what was going to happen, but, you know, but now seeing it, they're like, wow, like this, you know, what a crazy vision. And, you know, and I'm, I'm glad that they just sort of trusted me like blindly. <laughs> um, Cause yeah, you never, you never know, like, you never know if it's going to work. You never know if people are going to resonate with it. Um, and it's, it is, it's terrifying until you get that first person going like, oh, I saw what you did. I read your book. I saw yeah. the show. Like, yeah, it resonated with me. It hit us like it hit home for me. I, you know, really found this component really interesting. And but you never know. Well, also, I have two things to say about Sarah listeners that that I, just from the from the short years of knowing her. Number one, she's one of the hardest workers I know. Like you are one of the people that like do the hard work and like you. And think about it later. Like, she doesn't bitch and moan. She just does the hard work. And so many, so many producers and directors that we know do not refuse to do that. The directors who just have a grandiose vision and have never done those nitty gritty things. I refuse to do those nitty gritty things. Yeah, something gets missed or, or the the talent feels like they're not seen and looked after because maybe those things are missed because they don't even know what those things are. And then also what's nice to see, and I'm not trying to think, say negatively about anybody I know. I know a lot of directors, but let me tell you one of the biggest uh, similarities between them is they're all narcissists. <laughs> no, it's, it is true. Um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. For- and Sarah is not. <laughs> So because she has done the grunt work and she's done the big work and the small work and everything in between. And it's um, because a lot of these people who are in the driver's seat, many of which are men, many, not all, many of which are men. It's, it's about the ego. It's about their grand vision coming alive on stage, regardless of who they have to step on to get there. Yes. And uh, it's, it is when I started hearing that feedback, not even asking for it, them not even knowing that I know you, that made me smile. And that's when I DM'd you because I was like, that's a win because there's, there's nobody who's soliciting a questioner. They're just telling me I saw this amazing show. Point blank. Doesn't matter if there's a woman behind it. Doesn't matter if there's a huge name behind it. Um, and that I mean, made me smile. Oh, big. Well, thank you. Yeah. It means a lot. It, it was... It was pretty crazy to see that the majority of the audience were people I didn't know. And yeah, that's that's amazing. Which which made me go, okay, my marketing guy is really working. Like my PR guy and my marketing <laughs> guy are doing their job. They're doing what they got paid to do. Um, you know, and the product that we're putting out is interesting enough for people to want to spend the money on. Uh, well, and that word of mouth, because that's how you get the second, third, fourth shows sold. Um, the other thing I'd like to say is marketing, because marketing back when I was doing it was really difficult to reach people, but there was and it's not as much competition of information to reach them. Yeah. 
it's like a two-edged sword because before it's like, okay, how do we reach these people? But there's less competition. And now it's like, okay, we know how to reach them, but there's too much noise. So much competition. Yeah. Oh, just for your brain space. It doesn't have to be like a show that's almost like yours. It just, you know, a turtle walking slowly that went viral. <laughs> it's like, and I, and it's funny. Cause I'm like, I debated it. I was like, ah, do I hire somebody to handle marketing? Like, you know, and I, I mean, I spent a ton of money on marketing and it, it worked like the fact, again, the fact that I knew very few people in the audience each night was a testament to marketing and people who know how to get the word out. And if you're a producer, if you are looking to do a show and you don't have a giant audience within your like small bubble of humans, like hire someone who knows what they're doing because it will, it is a full-time job, first of all. Yes. Yes. Uh, Yeah. I did that job. (laughs) If you want to be the creative person, you cannot be the marketing person. Like you need, you need help, whether it's a friend, a family member, a friend, someone helping you inside the company. I don't know. Um, but it 100% was worth all the money that I spent on him and, you know, funding the marketing campaign. Uh, Sarah, since you're normally the operations person and then you slid into that creative role, did you get somebody to do your operations or did you do both? No, I did both. Uh, right. Okay. Okay. Because there's no money. Well, so yes and no. I, I did have a production assistant. Um, however, the production assistant was primarily designated to the food and beverage part of it. So I have never, I've, I worked in the food industry for like maybe eight months as a hostess. I've never been a server. I've never run, worked at a bar. I've never had that experience. So I did hire somebody who is both an actress, was a ballerina, has worked in food service forever um, to come in and basically handle like, and be my point person for all of the catering, the beverage service, like front of house kind of stuff. Um, and then I ran all of the operations for the production. Um, my lighting designer acted as stage manager. So he handled all of the lighting cues. I was on headset with my audio engineers and the lighting designer throughout the entire show. Um, so there were a lot of, there were a lot of us (laughs) involved. So I didn't have to have my hands like in everything like I do normally for some of the shows that you and I've worked on together. Um, I was primarily, oh, and I was pulling lines. I was running the rigging during the show. (laughs) So. Oh, right. You know, I, there, we didn't really need anybody like backstage managing because we had a, we had a lighting tech on both sides. So anytime there was an entrance or exit that was needed, I would just radio over to the lighting designer and then he would radio the two of them and say like, okay, harem feel like go down the stairs now and other than that the show just kind of ran itself because you would hear the music and you would come in on your cue you know like a a good dancer a good performer so to answer your question yes I was doing operations but not as many operations because there were I hired other people to run elements of it right and that's how you do it if you're not on a big budget you got to wear more than one hat and then the hats that you're most suited for you take on and the ones that you aren't you get somebody totally. 
Hopefully this episode is, is helpful for those uh, people out there who are trying to produce their own circus show out there. I, it, this really does bring me back to my previous life when I used to produce. And um, it's exciting. It's stressful. It's exhilarating. It's all the things. I mean, the emotional roller coaster was insane. And I think even more so because I was creatively involved in it. It's still an emotional roller coaster, even just working production when you're higher up the production food chain. But being the creative mind behind it also added its own element of emotions. The world is excited to see your next production. Um, hopefully by then I'm putting clothes on and leaving the house to see things. Um, Hello, Angel. Hello, Angel. Yeah, so I'm so proud of you, too. Thank you. This is amazing. Yeah. Thank you. And it means a lot. I'm loving her singing, by the way. Uh-huh, let's just listen to it a little bit. This song, I thought she was singing, I'm a little egg yolk. A little egg yolk. And really, she's saying I'm a little angel, which she's not. This little girl on YouTube is not an angel, just saying. And look at you. She's like, I'm ignoring mom. <laughs> like she sits on me and then ignores me. What? What is that? Um, okay, so Sarah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like link uh, stuff to your show and like photos of it and stuff. Um, yeah, and then people will be able to see your stuff in 2024. Yeah. And so thank you for being here. Absolutely. And if any of your listeners have any questions about production, please reach out. I'm always here to help and you know give you guys insight or teach help guide you on the things that I've learned throughout this course so you know I'm here to help all right Sarah thank you so much for being here can you say thank you Sarah thank you thank you Sarah it was so fun catching up with you we miss seeing you oh my goodness oh she will also ask me why do we have to say ka-chow you don't want to say ka-chow to the listeners? Mm-mm. All right, that's fine. All right, my friends, wrap your head around silks. Go ahead and sign up for Roll It Out or teacher training. Uh, you can always DM me if you have any questions. Oh, I have a little bean snuggling me. I have a little bean snuggling me. Oh, my goodness. This is time for night snuggles. Okay, we're almost there. We're almost there, bean. Oh, it's very nice. Uh, please honor me with the five-star rating review. I'm going to do it really fast. Uh, it really helps. It really, really helps. And I really, 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 really appreciate you. And check out Greener Grass, my, my podcast with Kelly McVeigh. We have so much fun. All right. That's it. <laughs> uh, Digit Podcast. Uh, wrap your head around socks. This is the Expecting Aerialist Podcast. Say bye. Bye. bye.